1: What's good, mi gente? It's your girl, Lali's Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. I am so juiced for today's guest. Y'all are going to hear from my Central American hermana, Cristina Rodriguez, founder of Latinas with Masters and the Latinas with Masters podcast. She is a first generation Nicaragüense navigating higher education and sharing all the unfiltered cheese cheesement on her story. Grab your popcorn, grafesito, all of it, because y'all are going to be deep in this cheesement. Let's get into it. You're here. Thank you for being here.
0: (laughs) No, thank you. Thank you. I mean, this is a much-anticipated long
1: (laughs) hell along, long hell along. long But you're here. I'm so happy you're here, by the way. I've been looking forward to this conversation all day um, because you're incredible. If y'all don't know Christina, y'all about to know Christina. We're going to get started with the first question, and that's how do you identify and why?
0: How do I identify? You know, I feel that society wants us to identify with one particular type of identity. And I feel like I'm multiple, right? I identify as Latina. Um, I identify with being um, a woman. I also identify being Nicaragüense, even though I was born and raised in San Francisco, being first generation. So first generation, U.S. born (laughs) Nicaragüense. I'm all of those things. Um, That's who I, that's,
1: that's who I, and that's who I am, you know? Mm, uh, claim it, girl. I, what I love most about this question is that I've had, I've had about 60 guests now, right? 60 different people. And no one's answered that question the same. And I think that's the beautiful part about being Latino, Latina, or just being who we are, is that like you said, society wants us to be in a little box, but latinidad is so big and we're so big that it's just like you can't you can't put us in this like little category we can't just check off one box right like we are we are so much we are absolutely. abundant mm-hmm. absolutely well thank you thank you for answering that question in your in your most like authentic way saying you're a woman you born latina Winson, de todo i wanna i wanna jump into your story because I see all the amazing things that you do, but what I love to do here is just almost paint the picture of like Christina, Christina's life, right? And how it all led her to where you are now. So let's start when you were younger. Tell us about your parents' immigration story or maybe your grandparents' immigration story, wherever that starts. And how does that lead to you being born and where were you born?
0: Yeah, so my parents are both Nicaraguense. They both came here during the early 80s um, when there was the Civil War in Nicaragua. And prior to that, I have actually learned um, through multiple storytelling and narratives of our family that actually my great-great-grandma came here by boat in the 1950s. And she came here with one of my great-aunts and came here with one of my great-uncles and one of my great uncles actually fought um, in um, World War II. And because he fought World War II, I'm sorry, not World War II, he fought, he he enlisted in the army, I apologize. Um, and because he enlisted in the army and did his time, he was able to give citizenship to his family. And so because of him, he we were able to bring my grandpa and then through my grandpa brought my aunt and through my aunt brought my dad. Um, and so then I was able to, you know, you know, it's beautiful to see that story, right? Because all I heard was, oh, you know, we come from Nicaragua, but, you know, my uncle was just an American hero, just like anybody else, you know? He fought in a country that he was not a native-born, you know, a native-born citizen to. And, you know, through his service, you know, he was able to um, be rewarded with citizenship for him and his family. And then through that, everybody started bringing each other. And then, so when my parents came here in the 1980s, um, they met here um in San Francisco and then hence the queen was born. I was born. Um, in, in <laughs> um <Hell> yeah. <laughs> so my dad played baseball um as every Nicaraguan to Central American does, right? My dad plays baseball and my mom was working at a Nicaraguan restaurant. And they met at that restaurant when my dad, you know, after playing baseball, would go to that restaurant to that bar, and my mom was the the waitress, and that's how my parents um, and then, you know, oh within Nicaragua says, you know, somebody that knows somebody. And so they ended up knowing a lot of acquaintances that had a lot of acquaintances that they knew from Nicaragua. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much the, the story of how my parents got here and my family. You know, some of them actually did cross the border. Some of them went through different um, avenues of of migrating here to the United States. Um, and so, you know, that that's with any, you know. Latino um narrative or, or story that 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 that's part of our history and our culture and, and I'm not ashamed of that. You know? And I feel like as a kid I've always been I've always been told to be ashamed, right? To that my parents weren't born here, they they didn't speak English, that they're not US citizens. And I just remember my mom telling me, You're not nicarühense, you're American. And I honestly used to like get mad at my mom and be like, Why would you say that? You're Nicaragüense, my dad's Nicaragüense, I'm Nicoya, right? And my mom would be like, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, she would say like, yes. And you are an American citizen. americana. You speak English. You're U.S. born. What she was trying to tell me, which I later found out or I r- later realized is that what she was telling me was you have privilege and you have every right to be in this country. You have every right to have that job. You have every right to get a degree. You have every right. You know, all these things that they told my parents, they can't tell me. You can't tell me that you're going to deport me. You can't tell me I I don't speak English or I don't speak good English, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. right? So because my parents had all of these negative experiences being othered here um, in America, what they were trying to tell me and my sister and my siblings was like, they can't tell you that, you know, because you are naturally born here and you have every right, just like every American, even though your parents already got a win. you are American. And that's what my mom was trying to instill in us.
1: Girl, I love that you painted that picture too, because I used to hear that my whole life, the way you just said it, Boso Americana, that's my mom. Like my mom and my dad were always like that. And I love that you reframed that to mean you have privilege. They can't tell you no. Right. I love I love that you just painted that picture. And I just had a conversation earlier with someone. He's um he immigrated from Mexico and he's about to be on the podcast soon but i wanted to highlight his story because there are differences between what our parents had to go through as immigrants and what we are going through as first gen, right? Like it's such a vast different story and our kids are going to be they're going to be a different story and their kids going to have a different story and it just it all kind of that's why it's i think the first generation story is so interesting because we have this just we're the we're the in between, right? We're the ones that know the culture, love the culture, have immigrant parents but we also are tied to this American culture and we're almost like redefining what American culture means so that it is right. inclusive of us. You know what I mean? Exactly. We're included Powerful. in that. Absolutely. We are included. Absolutely. And I, and this is something I had to learn too. I don't know if you had to deal with this, but for me, I used to get mad when they called me American because I thought American was white. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I'm not American. cien 100%. You know what I okay, mean? Like, like made of and then, Americano. Yeah. 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 And I remember going back to I went to Guatemala for a trip and I remember speaking Spanish and there was a guy that was like, are you Latina? Are you like, you know, and I, he was just shook. And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm Honduran, you know, but like born in the U.S. And then it gets complicated. Right. Because then he goes deeper mm-hmm. into your story. Exactly. And he's like, oh, OK, OK. And there was this like it was weird to feel like he didn't recognize me as one of theirs, you know what I mean? But like, he heard my accent and, you know, heard the Honduran in it. But it's just, it's really interesting being being in this first generation world, right? So I want to go into your story and like, growing up hearing this Bosa Americana and dealing with identity, talk about those like early experiences navigating your, your Nicaraguan, your Nicoya side, and also your American side and how that kind of like fit together when you were just going through your early experiences?
0: Yeah. So I feel that
1: when I was navigating
0: life and education in the spaces that I was in, they made it very clear that I was not American. They made it very clear that you're Latina, you're Mexican, you speak Spanish, you're from Central America, you know, um, your parents are immigrants, you know, all of these. And, And it was, the tone is very negative, right? But then, like you said, you go to the native country, you're around other, you know, um, Nicaragüenses, other Central Americans. And the moment that you show any type of assimilation of being American, it's like, oh, you're not Nicaragüense, you know?
1: <laughs> so, Girl.
0: Like in that Selena movie, like in the Selena movie where it's like that one part where she's like in the van and, the, and she, her dad's like, mm-hmm. you know, in Mexico, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, to Mexican and in America, you can be American. And it's just like all these things. And that that happens with every Latino culture, you know, like in Nicaragua, I'm not so I'm American. But here in America, I'm not American. I'm Nicaragüense. And it's just like, why can't I be both? I, I can choose. And so I was definitely othered when I was growing up, you know, because I spoke Spanish. Everybody would just say like, oh, yeah. So then you're Mexican again in a negative way. And at first I used to be like, I'm not Mexican. Like, don't say that. Like, I'm not, you know. And then as I got older, I started realizing like, oh, they needed to be educated clearly. So let me tell you where Nicaragua is. So Nicaragua is in Central America. It is the biggest country in Central America. Yes, we speak Spanish because we were all colonized by Spanish. Like I was literally just like history 101, literally. Mm -hmm. By the time I got into high school, I felt like my friends were like they would meet someone else that was from Nicaragua or from Central America and then they'll be like, Oh, you got to meet Christina because she's from Nicaragua too, or oh, she's Central American too. And so, I appreciated that of my of my friends, but that was already late in the game, right? That was already like in high school, where mm-hmm. you know, your your just beliefs and everything. You you think you know it all, right? And so, um, I grew up at you know, even though I'm from San Francisco, I did move to the South Bay, so I moved to San Jose, and I, and I went to school in Cupertino. I lived in Cupertino at the time. And I went to a predominantly white school, you know, there was Latinos there, you know, and the way that they saw Latinos were the Latinos that were in continuation school, the Latinos that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, ditch classes, the Latinos that didn't graduate, the Latinos that were getting their GED in the adult program. Like those are the Latinos that unfortunately they were exposed to. Um, But those are the Latinos who I identified with. Right. I'm like, yeah, but we're Latinos. And so I remember being asked. Like, oh, do you go here when I used to play sports? And I'm like, yeah, I go to Cupertino High School. And they used to be like, oh, are you part of Horizons? Which is a continuation school. And I was like, no, I am a student here at Cupertino High School. And they're like, wow, you're not from Horizons? Almost like they had a double check. And I'm like, no, I'm not from Horizons. Like, why do you keep asking me that? Oh, it's because I thought you look like somebody that's from there. And I was like, and I get it sometimes. I know sometimes like I look like. A lot of people like, you know, we have similarities, but at first I was like, I'm not going to take that personal because maybe I do look like the person that they're referencing to. But then I started realizing like, no, they looked at me as a Latina and they didn't think that I belonged in a traditional quote unquote high school that I should have, that I must have come from the continuation side of the high school. So Mm -hmm. yeah, bro, there was a lot of things that I experienced being, you know, in a predominantly white space. Um, But again, you don't know what you know, right? When I'm in high school, I know, I know what I'm feeling is wrong. I know that what I'm experiencing is wrong, but
1: like I don't know what it's called, you know? Like I don't really. Are my teachers? Oh my god! And then you, and then you grow up, and you're like, oh, that's what I was experiencing. Now you have vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: So we changing that Uh, for my kids' generation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh my, I can't even imagine. And you're reminding me right now. I'm reading this book called Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. It's about Central Americans, which Yahoo listening, Central Americans, especially Hondurans and says we are not represented anywhere. Like we are just so underrepresented. And I felt the same way. Like I had to educate people. I'm usually the first Honduran people meet, probably the only Honduran they meet. Wow. And it's just like, it's just so interesting, right? I'm like, well, y'all need to come to San Diego and y'all need to meet my family because there's Hondurans are lit, Central Americans are lit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but having to educate people on your culture, and it, I would almost feel like I would almost feel dope for being different, but also like I do say well, so I don't say tú, you know what I mean, or I don't say que padre, I say like you know that's lit or está you know what I mean? Like I say things that are a little differently than other people. And growing up, I don't know if it was the same for San Jose, but I grew up in a predominantly like Mexican community. And so a lot of my Mexican friends would be like, oh, Jasmine, do your little accent again. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It would just be. And it was all fun in games. Like you say, you don't know when you're in high school, yeah. middle school. But then growing up, I'm like, huh, is that is that cool? Like, I don't know how I feel about that now. Yeah, it's just- you don't
0: experience that with other, I mean, I grew up with other nicaragüenses and Central American and Mexicans and we're not telling each other, hey, say that again, or say it one more time, or roll your R's again, or do this, you know? And after a while, to be honest with you, like people would say Nicaragua, but they would say it instead of s- pronouncing it how you're supposed to pronounce it, which is how it's spelled, um, NIC, they would say it N-I-G, almost like you're saying Nigeria or you're saying the negative um word of uh, you know, like you're saying the N-word, but they would yeah. put it off with, you know, agua. And I used to be like, no, it's not N-I-G, it's N-I-C. And then, then I started realizing like, wait, are they doing this on purpose or are they legit saying it like that because they think that that's how you pronounce it? Like, again, I'm just kind of like. Okay, well, you sound stupid, like <laughs> you know. Yeah. I right. was like, okay, dude, like you just have to learn how to spell or like pronounce it, or like <laughs> stop. because it's becoming annoying. Like it became it annoying. You know? Yeah, so yeah. But you know, Undudenia wasn't telling me that. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't
1: like a, 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 the <inaudible> yeah. Always it's, it's like so. I'm not, you know, saying that. Yeah, always. And by by the way, this book it's called Don't Ask Me Where I'm From anyone who's listening, you know, you would love it. It's so good. And you reminded me of her because in the book, she's talking about how she was part of this program, like a, basically like a equal opportunity program called METCO. Mm-hmm. And everyone at this white school would be like, oh, you're in METCO? Where are you from? And she'd just be like, from Boston. And I no, 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 but like, where are you from? And mm-hmm. she's just like, you know what I mean? And it's one of those, but people don't get it. Like they don't, they don't take offense to it. And it's always been a weird and I, I'm I'm curious, it's going to be a question for you too, but how, how do you navigate the like, I want to educate you peace, but also like, I'm not the only person to ask, like just, you know, do your own research, Google it, like you mm-hmm. find out where Honduras is, like how do you balance the two of like, I want to educate you, but I'm also tired of you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like it's the tone, the setting that I'm in, you know, like, um, yeah, you're right. It's just like, I think, Now we're I think now the pandemic definitely kind of awakened a whole nother type of wokeness. Um, and I feel like there's people that genuinely want to learn and genuinely want to know, right? And I think that's fine. Listen, I'm here for the journey. I'm all about learning. I'm all about anti-racist. Sure, absolutely. Let's go ahead and learn. But if you're gonna like, if I'm already feeling like, "Mm," like I don't get me wrong, there's been conversations where I'm just like, okay, now you're just now you're now you're ticking me off. Because about like where I'm from, it's like it's always a conversation of like, but where are you really from? Like, where do you want to know that I was born in a one bedroom apartment on Mission Street? Like what? Like I'm from what? Like, what are you trying to ask me? And it's yeah, it's because, you know, I'm dark skinned. Right. I speak Spanish, you know, so then it's like, what are you? Are you black? Are you Dominican? Are you Puerto Rican? Are you born here? You're not born here. Like, I feel like that's the question that always gets asked of me. Not necessarily like anything else, you know, and, yeah. and it's unfortunate that, but like I said, there's ways of saying it, you know, like, oh, I know that or your last name is Rodriguez. Like, oh, I'm just wondering, like, where's your family from? You know, and that's when I tell them, you know, yeah, Rodriguez is my married last name. My husband is Mexican, but my family's from Nicaragua. Like, I feel like certain times I just volunteer that information because eventually yeah. the question's like, oh, but where are you from? <laughs>
1: okay, but isn't it mad funny when they're like, where are you from? And you're like, okay, so I'm from Southeast San Diego, but my parents are Honduran and I'm like, you know what I mean? It's just sometimes I do tend to be in the mood where I over explain, but it's like, it's almost like not even over explaining, like this is legit. Like I am from Southeast and that's a huge part of my identity, but I'm also Honduran. That's another huge part of my identity, right. but I was born here being first, gen- you know what I mean? It's a, it's a complicated story, which is why I hold this space with us. Right. Cause we well, yeah. have spaces to just be real. Like it's hard out here. And then Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, Latine, like, girl. So I, yeah, it's a whole nother combo. It's a whole nother combo.
0: I've noticed that, like, the older generations definitely are the ones that ask me, like, when they ask me in Spanish, right? Oh, they don't the, know. The don't Only because they hear me speak Spanish. And and it's almost like they know, like, mm, that's not a native Spanish. Like, you speak Spanish, but you're not going to fool me because I'm native. So. Something <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, you am are I am like, it. I I knew it. I knew it. I me I knew
1: it. I knew me I If y'all, if you I don't know, we say, I be, it. I I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I I um, I wanna I wanna kinda okay, I wanna go back to your story because you're talking about going to Cupertino High, being the one of the few Latinas there, the few brown people there. Talk about what happened after going from Cupertino High School. Did you go to college? And I mean, I know you went to college because of your yeah. whole business, but like going to college, how was that whole how was that whole experience for you? Like just first gen college student experiencing all this? Like, did you feel like you hit imposter syndrome? prior because you went to Cupertino High? Or did you feel like you still had it heavy in college? Yeah, this show is brought to you by McDonald's. If y'all know me, you know, I love me some potatoes in all forms, but especially fries. And you also know I love being a tia more than anything else in this world. So when I think of McDonald's fries, I can't help but think of my nephews, Ezekiel, Gio, Emilio, and Elias, because they love McDonald's. And McDonald's has actually been at the core of our most cherished and common bonding moments. After their soccer practice, they'd come over, sweaty and hangry. We'd get them packed up in the car, go to McDonald's drive-through and order four kids' meals. They'd compare toys and all I'd hear in the back is, oh man, you got the one I wanted. And they would, of course, start eating in the car because they can never wait till we get home. But the best part, in my opinion, is taking their fries when they're not looking because y'all know it's impossible to resist papitas, even when they're not yours. Whether I'm taking my nephews to McDonald's or I'm enjoying a breakfast platter with my viejos after an early church service, can't deny that it's been part of the familia. As my nephews would say, McDonald's, I'm loving it. So I went to Cupertino High
0: School. I lived in Cupertino from sixth grade up until sophomore year, and then junior year I moved to Mountain View. So Cupertino, think of like Apple campus, and then Mountain View, you think like Google campus. Because literally, I was around all of these (laughs) tech people, honestly. All my friends' parents worked in tech, right? And then here, my dad is like a maintenance supervisor, right? And I'm like, yeah, my dad's probably the guy that like fixes the plumbing in your apartment, (laughs) you know. Uh, but I used to be proud of yeah. that. My dad worked very hard to be where, it, where he's at, and we got free housing, so I was not ashamed to say that. Um, hey, but <laughs> um, yeah. So then I moved to Mountain View, and uh, believe it or not, I actually ended up going to a continuation school because Cu- good old Cupertino messed up on my transcript. I didn't find this out until later, but to graduate at Cupertino High School was two hundred and twenty credits, and in Mountain View School District was two ten. So Mountain View had to honor the, um, I'm sorry, it was reversed, 210 at Cupertino, 220 in Mountain View. So Mountain View had to honor my 210 credits. So when I transferred, they said I was short 10 credits. I need to go to a continuation school to make up those 10 credits. I was so bummed out. I cried. I was like, what? Again, all of these negative, you know, um, condensation of like what a continuation school is. And then I get there and I was like, Oh, this is hella chill. Like, this is hella cool. The professors are cool. The teachers are cool. Principal's cool. Like, I met a lot of dope people there. Um, there was a lot of Latinos there. A lot. It was very diverse, actually. There was, like, white, Asian, Indian. It was actually very diverse in Malibu, um, in that continuation school. But I ended up graduating early. I got $5,000 worth of scholarships. Um, and I was exposed to pre-college information before I graduated. So because I graduated from a continuation school, I didn't have the opportunity to apply to a four-year university. My route into college was a community college. So I um, enrolled at Full Hill College. It was in, it's in Los Altos. And I was there for about a year or so. Um, and then I moved back to San Francisco. And I had a gap year because I didn't know if college was for me at the time. You know, like I wanted to get paid more money. You know, now I, now I live on my own. I have a car payment. You know, my parents weren't to. Su- are not supporting me because I moved out, right? And and not able to pay my college tuition. And so um, so I took a gap year and it wasn't until I was working at this financial institution, um, I tried to apply for a job and they told me that the minimum requirement was for me to have a bachelor's degree. And then I was like, but I already like work here. I already know your product, your service, like all that stuff. And they were like, that's the minimum requirement. So I feel like I had like an epiphany then. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, that's going to be the last time that I ever get denied a job just because I don't have a degree. And unfortunately, my parents went through that route. There's a lot of Latinos, a lot of, you know, uh, individuals who immigrate to this country who don't have a degree and unfortunately are not given the opportunity because of a piece of paper. So then I was like, okay, well, mm-hmm. this is what my mom was saying that I have privilege. Let me get my ass back to school um, and get that bachelor's degree. And so I enrolled at city college of San Francisco I was like obsessed with my transcript. I was like, okay, I got to take this class. I got to do this. I got to do that. And then I transferred to San Francisco State University and I graduated with my bachelor's degree in Latino studies because at the time I wanted to be an immigration um, attorney. So I wanted to learn more about the history of Latinos and why they come here. Right. Because I can tell you my story about Nicaragua or my parents story about Nicaragua and why they came here. But I couldn't tell you about Hondureña, Suerte Malteca, like there's a lot more, right? We have similar and shared experiences with the war, but like the experience in El Salvador and like what they were dealing with the church is way different what they were dealing with in Nicaragua with the Sandinistas and stuff, you know? So it was just kind of like, mm-hmm. I wanted to learn more about the Latino culture, you know? Um, and I feel like that's why I'm able to know like, okay, yeah, you're Hondureña, girl, like your accent, tu modo de hacer. And I just love that because I read stories that are very similar to your parents and to your experience, right? Being first gen in books, in literature. I was doing essays on that. And I love that. I love that. I was able to learn about the Latino culture, you know, um, because I knew yeah. that as immigration attorney, I'm not just going to be helping one particular Latino. I'm going to be helping multiple people from different Latin America, right? Central and South America and the Caribbean. So
1: I felt that that was like a yeah. decision that I made graduating in that. Girl, that is so dope. And I I want to talk about, because you mentioned, like, you don't know about Saldoreñas and, like, Hondureñas. And I want to talk about just these, these differences and nuances in la cultura. Because I would say Central Americans, yeah, we have a lot of similarities. But we do have differences, too. And I would say, I mean, that's for all Latino culture. I mean, yeah. we can have a lot of shared experiences. We love the same music. We love Bad Bunny's mm-hmm. new album. Like, but... <laughs> i was looking to on the way here but at the same time like there's also differences that make us uniquely who we are it makes us puerto ricans and makes us Nicaraguenses, and makes us hondurans you know what i mean from like and i want to just this is me picking your brain but from what you've learned what do you think is like the biggest difference in the cultures and the biggest like similarities that brings us all together as a community
0: yeah um, I feel like what I've learned, and, and you kind of um, brought this up earlier, is that, you know, each one of us as first generations, we carry, you know, um, the trauma and the experiences of our parents on our back, you know? And even though mm-hmm. we didn't experience it, right, in in the actual country, we experience it in a different way, in otro modo de like hacer, right? And so um, that's why I, I, I believer that it's very important to desegregate the data, right? Because the experience of a Nicaraguan student is very different from a Honduran student, is very different from a Salvadorian student because of the experiences of their parents and of their ancestors and just everything. The, the whole culture is it's it's different, you know? The climate's different, the language is different. There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of differences as well that we need to acknowledge, not just let's put them all in the same box and label them Latino because they all speak a common language. But at the same time, they're also boxing us with the same experiences and the dominant experiences Mm -hmm. is the Mexican experience. And the Mexican experience is not the Nicaraguan experience. It's not the uh, Hondurena experience. And that's the part that higher ed and society needs to understand that in order for you to understand my experience and your experience, you have to desegregate the data and be like, She's Nicaragüense and she's Hondureña. And this is the way that they both, you know, are going to gravitate to certain, you know, cultures and and certain if whatever it is, honestly. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about that, you know, Um, and even the experiences of like coming here to the United States, you know, Honduras being closer to the to the border, you know, is the the immigration journey is most likely by foot, most likely crossing the river, most likely on the train. Versus Nicaragua, it's a little bit farther, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's different, and especially Panama on the other side, you know? And so though in Costa Rica and those experiences are very different as well. Yes, we probably migrated the same way, one way or another, but um not everybody did. Like my parents came here by plane and they came here as legal residents, you know. But it's not to say I didn't know nicaragüenses that went that route or Hond- hondureñas that went that route. Absolutely. I mean, I had friends in Melville that were from Honduras. And he was like, you know, excuse my language. He was like, switch up so chapete. Like, I came here, like, you know, and he would just say things like that. And he was proud of that, you know? And I used to be like, hey, well, do you? Yeah. Do Are you proud of that? Cool, you know? And and, and, <laughs> and he would just be like, yeah, I remember being on a train. I remember my mom, you know, we had to like find a family and like hide and then help on the next train. And I was like blown away. And he was my age, you know? Yeah, girl. He like, mm. and to him, you know, so now I'm like, wow, like, I'm definitely taking things for granted, you know, being U.S. born and here and here he is with the sacrifices with his mom to come here and then to come to the United States and learn a new language and learn a new culture, you know, and then be other, you know, I experienced that firsthand, you know. And so, yeah, that's why I think it's definitely, again, going back to what you're saying is, it's definitely important to understand the different experiences because, yes, we are going to have similarities um but there's also differences as well and it's not to it's not to say that we can't support each other is that i have to
1: see you you are and you have to see me for who i am you know oh and make space for all of it because i feel like sometimes when you want a piece of the pie they're like no the pie is mine you know what i mean like no i want to be represented too like it's all about giving everybody space and time and and allowing them space to just be themselves like educate folks about what what it means to be hondureña like i remember i there's a story because you just talked about chapete <laughs> yeah but my dad i remember i was reading this this story and I, i've said this story before on the podcast but i was reading this book about um, a salvadorian kid who comes on the train de la bestia which is what you're talking about on that train that runs from central america over to to mexico and I was young, I was like in middle school and then I ran into my dad's room and my dad was like my best friend. So I was like, papi, ley esta historia que ese y el otro, and I started telling him about it. And then I just see him like smile and he just starts laughing. He's like, oh, I know about the train. And I'm like, do you? And he's like, yeah, I came on that train and it blew my mind. Like yeah. it literally was like, Wait, what? And I remember, and this is kind of like what you're talking about with our parents, just kind of being ashamed of where they come from. But I remember my mom telling my dad, like, don't tell her, don't tell her. And I was like, well, now you got to tell me because you already said something, you know what I mean? And that was the moment my dad told me about his immigration story. And I remember being so like, what? I'm reading about this experience. And here you are, like, literally my, my, my father And you're going through this or you've gone through this. And the stories that he would tell me was just, it'd just be crazy. Like, I just, like, I can't even, I can't even explain to you all the stories he said. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. But I remember thinking just how many people do I know? My tía, Steals, you know, lo que sea, like how many people go through these experiences and how many of their stories are told by the right people? Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. You know, it, it's a real thing. Our parents do not talk about it because they were told not to talk about it, right? One, you don't want to recreate trauma, right? Uh, I used to do that all the time. I used to do the exact, the exact same thing. You, I would read a book and they would mention Nicaragua, and then I would go to my dad and be like, "Oh, you know that during the war?" And da da da. My dad looks at me like, "Uh, yeah, that's why I came." Claro. that <laughs> <laughs> they were not to like good to war, to like, you know, recruit kids from like eight to nine and then he was just like uh yeah <laughs> that's why I left you know <laughs> and, but then that's all that's all I was like, a yeah and later on it was like peeling an onion like oh and then I heard another story and then I heard another layer and then I would hear another layer and I was just like wow and I honestly said this to my dad the other day I mentioned something to him and then he was like yeah we don't talk about it because it's like one we were told not to talk about it two who are we going to talk about it with like with the same people who are experiencing the same trauma. Like, I don't gotta tell Chibita or whatever what she experienced because I saw it. <laughs> no, she didn't. So, like, why are we gonna talk about it, you know? And then it was the stigma of, like, if you go to therapists or if you talk to somebody, you're crazy, right? So that's why they're mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I wanna talk about it. They internalize so many things. But then what we don't know is that all of the things that they internalize and they experience it, that gets brought uh, brought down through, you know, through our genes, you know? So then even though like my mom experienced trauma in the war, she lost a baby, she lost her husband, all these things that she experienced, you know, I could experience as well, you know, the, the symptoms, but then also my kids, you know? And so then that's the thing that again, we're not told, right? We just think that, oh, you know, that being, oh no, like, you know, whatever, but no, it's like, how do you tell your parents that, like, oh, you well, your experience is generational trauma. And they're looking at you like, what? Get No. No. No, hombre, no yo. Yo no. <laughs> no. No. But I, yeah, exactly. No yo. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. And it, it's so interesting because I, I feel like you've had the same experiences from what we're talking about. But they internalize a lot so you start to internalize a lot because that's how you think you should navigate feelings and like it took me so long to be able to be vulnerable and talk about things and girl it still takes me a minute to like really be real with especially in relationships and friendships and just like life of myself like just being honest and not internalizing every little thing that happens to me like Mm -hmm. it's hard to unlearn that it's it's super hard to unlearn that and I've I've been in the process of unlearning that I feel like we're definitely on our healing journey from that you know and I'm the oldest
0: you know daughter um so I've always had to like translate and like fix things and like oh Christina will figure it out you know and so I internalized all these things of how I was really feeling and like put up a front or 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 be the one to be like, no, fuck that, you ain't fucking with me or my family, you know? And then I literally had a conversation with my professor and I was telling her something, and she was like, Great, but who's taking care of Christina? Like, whose shoulder do you cry on when your feelings are hurt? Or who's taking care of your feelings when your feelings are hurt? And I started bawling. Cause then I went back to Cupertino. I went back to like all my friends that I protected, all these experiences that I had defending everybody. And she was like, out of all those experiences, who defended you? And I was like, well, they're not going to defend me. I'm defending them. Why would I have them defend me? And she goes, exactly. You've always had to be the one, you know, front of the line Mm -hmm. fighting these battles. But who's helping you fight your battles? And I was like, nobody. And I feel like I'm that to this day. If I have a problem, I don't ask anybody for help. I'm like, no, I'm cool. I internalize it. It's something I got to raise my hand and tell my husband babe, I need help. <laughs> and then he'll be like, girl, you should have told me this a long time ago. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just sometimes it just doesn't come to me that I need help, even though like I know I need help. I'm just like, no, 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 I'll figure it out. Or I'm going to wait a couple days or whatever it is. I just don't. Like you said, it's just we're learning. It's learned behavior from our parents, from the way that they dealt with problems. And so then mm-hmm. now we are like, oh, well, this is the way that we have to deal with problems. Right. And so, yeah, no, I feel you, girl. That could be a whole nother podcast because listen, you're that <laughs> journey, it is real
1: AF. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about it though real quick because I think this is important for everyone listening because this is a, it's a really real thing and it can really change your your life if you really go into this healing journey and start to not see just like, the healing that needs to happen, but also I feel like asking my parents more of their story helped me understand myself so much more. And there's generational wisdom as much as there is the generational trauma. You know what I mean? So I I want to ask you, when did you start your healing journey, and how can folks who are listening start theirs too?
0: Yeah. Woo, girl! I gotta take a breather for that one. I <laughs> I started my healing journey. Um. I want to say, like, towards the end of last year, definitely. Again, I go back to the pandemic. The pandemic brought up so much shit, people, from everybody. Same. Like and we're on your own healing journey. Within <laughs> that, was, like another layer of a healing journey, and yeah, I mean, I want to say that I experienced something specific in my doctoral program. So I'm in my in my doctoral studies right now, and I experienced a situation with someone. And that particular argument, discussion, whatever you want to call it, literally brought out the wrath of my ancestors, honestly. Because even if you think about the history of Nicaragua and like fighting for your country, fighting for your land, fighting for your identity, right? If you're either African, if you're from the Caribbean side, or if you're indigenous, right? Just all of these things, for some reason, that particular moment in time, you know, literally like awoken my ancestors because it was a moment that I realized that I need to be in the space interrogating that type of behavior. So more women and Latinas who look like us are in the space because what I was experiencing was white fragility. White women tears is what I was experiencing. And again, experienced it my whole life. But then I'm like, oh uh, that's what we call white fragility. <laughs> If it's something that we're going to talk about. Right. So um, I want to say that was the moment that I started my healing journey, the moment that I had that experience. And then I talked to my professor, which is what I explained earlier. I was like, wow, that was the moment that I started not really. I mean, I always care about people. I always care about helping them as much as I can. Like that will never go away. But it was like a whole nother level. Now I'm kind of like, if that's disrupting my energy And the energy in which I show up for my kids and my family, I'm not giving it the time of day versus before I used to be like all up in it, you know, and then and then carry on that energy and then just have like, you know, and then and then I would be mentally and emotionally exhausted and I wouldn't know why. Now I'm able to call it out or now I'm able to really like breathe and like really just kind of like assess what's happening and then be like, yeah, I don't want to fuck with that. I'm cool. <laughs> and if, honestly, like if it's not making me money, if not giving me exposure, if it's like, listen, there's like a whole list that I have. And yeah, girl, like now I'm honestly like, OK, all right. No,
1: that, that's you. how you know when you start checking yourself. That's yeah. how you no. Know. That's right. how you know when yeah. you're on the journey. And, you know, I don't think people realize Nicaragua has been such, it's been such a resilient country. It's been through, like, hell and back, and it's always in this constant no. state of, <laughs> still, and that's what I was going to say, it's always in this constant state of, like, like disruption. I feel like things are always just happening in Nicaragua, and I don't think people know that, so I want to give you space right now. Can you educate the folks who are listening, and me myself, too, educate us on the history of Nicaragua and understanding where it is and, you know, how we can show up for our our Nicoya brothers and sisters. Y'all know this platform is all about celebrating la cultura and showing up as your authentic self. And that's why I'm extra excited that today's episode is brought to you by Chispa. This is an app that you can download on your phone right now if you're looking for love, trying to meet new people, or to find the next novio or novia you're bringing to the family party. So check this out chispa is the number one dating app para latinos this is a place where you can connect with someone like you someone who loves nuestra cultura someone you can be your authentic self with and someone who can be abuelita approved y'all know i'm currently in a relationship with someone who's proud of his puerto rican roots and let me tell you it's so nice to be with somebody who loves the music the food the culture just as much as i do but most importantly I love that there are certain things I don't have to explain. O say. I can be hella Latina and he just hella loves it. So if you're single, go on Chispa, find your Buricua, bae, your Honduran, bae, tu Colombiana, tu Cubanito. And the next time your tia starts asking, y el novio, or they want to set you up on a blind date con el vecino, just download Chispa to meet your next papacito or mamacita to introduce them to. Uno nunca sabe, something amazing can come out of it. Check out Cheese Chispa. Tell your single friends too. It's free. Time to meet your media
0: See what ha- happened was, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, to give you a brief history. Oh my God, where do I begin? It's just like, you know, Central America has so much history embedded with the U.S. and then the Spanish colonization. Oh, girl, <laughs> so much. Transition into mestizo. And then if you're all, okay, yeah. So we're going to bypass all that, right? But I guess <laughs> like, I guess what really started was when there was a dictatorship, right? Which was a Somoza dictatorship, right? It was like generations of a family um, dictating Nicaragua, right? who also was like in bed with the U.S., right? Because the U.S. needed a puppet to really like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, listen to what they wanted because at the time they wanted to build the Panama Canal in Nicaragua. Again, a whole nother history session there. However, there was another group kind of rising and those were called the Sandinistas and they were more like, you know, communist thinking where it was just like, hold on a second, we have like the worst literacy rate in Nicaragua where like there was no, Um, it's literally you're like hella rich or you're like dirt poor. There was definitely no in-between. I mean, there was a lot of things happening. And so then the the Sandinistas that kind of like created this organization was just kind of like, fuck that. I'm like, we're not going to have this shit no more. We're going to create our own guerrilla warfare and we're going to try to overthrow Samosa and we're going to, you know, have more, you know, indigenous languages at schools, right? And we're going to have more higher literacy rates and we're going to, you know, spread, you know, wealth and and food and all the above really basic needs right to survive and so that's literally what happened right um samosa did get overthrown um and the sardinistas took over right is it better probably not but that's a whole nother thing too because you know now we're dealing with modern the modern version of a sardinista versus like the 80s right um even though the concept was um they had a good concept from what the outcomes were what the purpose was the mission was i mean there's still people poor there's still people that don't have food there's Mm -hmm. people that make like less than 20 dollars, right like a month it is the second poorest country in the western hemisphere next to haiti um you know the the government is trying to like not have students become educated right because now now you're woke now as in now if you're educated now you know that the way that you're living is not humane or it's not, you know what I'm saying? And so very similar to like how we, how minorities or how people of color experience systems of oppression here, right? They're trying to keep us out in these spaces so we won't be like, oh, wait, that's that's not equity. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. that's, that's not serving us, you know? Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's a little bit like brief history in Nicaragua. And so, like you said, I, I definitely feel in like, reading all these books and just learning about intergenerational trauma and then generational trauma that I just realized like, wow, this whole time that I've been conformed to, to kind of put my personality and the way and the person who I am as a Nicaragüense under the rug, you know, and, and was, you know, encouraged to like assimilate to American culture. Right. Because they allow me to show up as my authentic self in these spaces. And so that is part of the healing journey uh, that I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. Like now I'm just kind of like, no, I'm going to show up with my hoop earrings. I'm going to show up with my red lipstick. I'm going to show up with my curly hair. This is who I am. Um, Again, another microaggression. I didn't realize I was experiencing, you know, when I would go to interviews or I would go to work and I was told that I couldn't wear my hair curly. You can't wear red lipstick. You can't wear those hoop earrings. And I, and I used to be like, why? Like, that doesn't make sense. I knew I was fighting something, but then I used to be like, oh, maybe they want the best for me. Oh, because I'm going to get promoted. Okay. Oh my God, damn. She's hella cool. She, You know, why would my appearance matter? You know? So, so again, going back to what you said was, I honestly feel that my ancestors in one way or another experienced um, a disruption of their sense of belonging in their home. We know that as a fact. Right. Yeah. Um, the fact that my parents had to leave their sense of belonging, right? Being Icarawenses, the fact that they had to leave their country and come here and then now experience a whole different type of sense of belonging, right? But then mm. you think about it, their experience is different than my experience. So how is it that if I'm considered American, quote unquote, if I speak English, if I have degrees, how am I still experiencing imposter syndrome and sense of belonging in higher education or <laughs> in fourth place. Make it make sense. People <laughs> the math is <isn't> a math thing. <laughs> that is because we are navigating spaces that were not built for us. The system is doing what it's supposed to do, which is keep people out that look like me and you. Oh uh, girl. Mm-hmm. and and now I'm kind of like again no <laughs> I'm not gonna take that. You know? And yeah. I honestly feel like it has to do with my ancestors. It has to definitely do with the way that they were treated in Nicaragua, definitely the way my parents were treated here. And like you said, I'm going to use my privilege to my full advantage. And what you said earlier of like my experience being different from my children's experience, that's now second generation. Yes, that is the whole point. I will take all the student loan debt, I will eat up all the mortgage debt. My kids, I don't want them to have any debt. They're, I'm building generational wealth. I'm, I'm breaking generational cycles of trauma and you know and they're going hopefully by then we'll be navigating spaces that are built for them because there's people like us like me and you that are creating these counter spaces creating a podcast mm-hmm. creating this space for them to see themselves in to be like yeah I do belong here like yes I can have a degree or yes I can work there or yes I can have my podcast whatever it is like do it like stop asking for permission Again, another part of me. And they can do it all while wearing their
1: hoops and their red lipstick well, and whatever actually, they want. Absolutely, <laughs> girl. So as you can see... <laughs> with their tattoos, like, literally. Mm. Todo, todo. Honestly, like that. And, and you
0: know, and, uh, and I will leave with this, you know, with, with this segment of the question is, I'm, I'm a firm believer that just because it was hard for me, it does not have to be hard for anybody else that follows us, honestly, you know? Like, and so that is what I'm leaving with. I'm leaving... A legacy of like equity and advocacy and like dismantling and interrogating and all these things. Like, let's shake that shit up. You know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, we have to be in spaces with degrees, quote unquote. When I say like that, because I'm the first to tell you that you don't have to be, you don't have to have a degree to be successful. What I'm saying is that unfortunately, in some spaces, people want to see titles and degrees for you to even have any type of validation. Okay, cool. So now I have this validation from you. So now we're going to change this shit, right? And so that's what I'm doing it for. I'm not here to like be an educator, to conform to the same systems of oppression. I'm here to disrupt and interrogate that so we can be at the table now and be like, cool, my degree now allows me to change this entire thing that's not serving us now. So we're changing this shit. And trust Mm -hmm. me, there's a whole gang of Latinos that look like us that are on the same page, that are riding the same train of like,
1: that's not not working for us. That's not- It's it's like, it's like, gotta keep playing the game to change the game. You know what I mean? And like, and that's where I think we have hella privilege because we are in this space where we can change the game. And we are doing it one podcast at a time, one degree at a time, one lecture at a time. Like we're doing it slowly in these different ways. And that's what I think is so powerful about when we do this together, when Latinos band together, is because it's better together. You know what I mean? Like we're all doing the same work in different spaces, and you see more and more of us in these spaces. I mean, we're twenty percent of the population, aren't we? Something like that. And then, like, I we're think majority, it's twenty. We're the majority. Yeah, we're, we're the ma- we're the majority ma- in
0: the United States. So that's why when people were yeah. like, I mean, girl, uh, I am not the minority. I am the majority. <laughs> Please don't get it twisted. Yeah, like so. Yeah, so now, period. period. <laughs> I am the majority in the United States. So figure it out. Right.
1: <laughs> I w- I want to go back to your story. I know we went on these different directions, which I love. I love this conversation with you because it's so real. I want to talk about after you got the degree, after you you realize you need to get a degree, keep playing the game and change the game. You know what I mean? Like, when did you start to to like kind of build and elevate your own career? How did you start to be in the higher ed space? Like, talk to us about what you've done to to get to where you are now?
0: yeah. so when i um so as I was going to college, I was working in housing um the whole time. And so, um I was a leasing agent, assistant manager. I became a property manager. So I stayed in housing for a little bit. and then I decided to go back to get my master's degree. Um, and there was a resident there um who I was managing her apartment, you know, her her building. And she encouraged me to go to get my master's, and I was like, "Why would I get my master's?" Like, like yes, I thought about it. Yeah, I'll do ethics studies, I'll do Latino studies, I'll be a professor. And she was like, "No, no, no, you need to get your master's in business." And I used to be like, "Why?" Like that makes no sense. I'm not even like a businesswoman. And she was like, "You manage a multi-million dollar asset. You do budgets. You do payroll. You do customer service. You do marketing." Like she was just like, "Boom, boom, 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 boom," and I'm like. Wow, employees do a very good job of not making you feel like a businesswoman and they make you feel like an employee, right? So I went back to mm. school, I got my master's. Um, I I specialized in marketing and then I used that experience in housing to market apartments, right? I was able to transition from like being front face to now working at the corporate office. And then, you know, like by then I already got married, you know, I had my daughter. I actually got pregnant with my se- with my son during graduate school. I bought a home, like. Clearly, I love things like all at once, right? <laughs> so then um, it wasn't until later on, like literally it was like the end of 2019. It was in 2019. I actually applied to, for USC and I didn't get it um, for my doctorate in education. And I was like, OK, well, maybe was it wasn't meant to be like, I don't know. Let me just see what else is out there. And then I applied to Mills College. And I applied, you know, my personal statement was about housing education. It was about housing. That's all I know. Right. I've been working for it for so long. And then I didn't hear back from them for a while because, you know, that takes forever. Right. To get a a response back. But literally it was like COVID-19 started to come up and then like. Kobe Bryant died. Literally, it was like a timeline, people. It was like, all these oh, girl, all of it happened. <laughs> shut down, right? The The shelter in place. And then George Floyd. And then I get like a letter saying that I got admitted to Mills College. And I was like, wait, what? Like right now in the middle of the pandemic? Like, should I be doing this? Like, is this safe? But I knew for some reason, like when that whole George Floyd thing happened and like all these other individuals that were dying, I was just kind of like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are we navigating here? Like, I knew I wanted to do something. I didn't know what, but I was like, I got to be in some type of space to talk about it because this is driving me fucking crazy. So um, I had to get into the program. And then um, that's when I started learning more about like why schools were built, right? They were built to take away, you know, the Native American language for you to be Americanized, right? Same thing with Spanish, same thing with African-American. I mean, it was just like, like I knew a little bit about it through Latino studies, but it was more we were we were more learning about like the migration of coming here. Right. With a little bit of experiences of us being here, but not like from the start of the country. You know what I'm saying? I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Were built. For what reason? Like, oh, my God. And so and then learning about K through 12 curriculum and how the way certain teachers started. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, I experienced. No wonder I hate math. That is crazy. Like, all all these things were like coming up and I was being triggered and I was just like, oh, shit, that needs to change. Like, definitely, I don't want my kid like as a mother. Now I'm like, okay, definitely, I'm not going to have my kids go through that. Like, yeah, I feel like as you know, like our parents, they come here because America is supposed to be better. Right. With the education system. So when teachers come back and say like, oh, mirada, Cristina, que no se que, whatever, and they used to be like, oh, why are you talking back to the teacher? Why are you doing this? You know, they would always believe the teacher because they'll be like, the school knows best, right? Why are you at right that? And I used to be like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't me or like I was helping someone else and da-da-da-da-da, right? Now I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, I did notice it was only brown kids. Oh, I did notice that I would be pulled out for ESL, even though I speak English. Like, A lot of shit, girl, that was just targeting black and brown students, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So now that I'm a mother who have kids in K through 12, now I'm kind of like healing journey, right? Like, yeah, that's not going to work for my kid. We're going to need equity-based learning here uh, for my kid, especially my son who has a speech-language delay. Um, He has an IEP. Now I'm just like, no, absolutely not. That's not going to work for my kid. Why? Because I know and I'm his mother. So let's go back to the drawing board. Let's see what else we can do. Like, I'm very firm on that. And I'm very lucky to have a good school that listens to me with that part. But yeah, but but then I get into higher ed, girl. And that's like a whole nother thing. Like the whole process to get into graduate school and then the SATs and then the EMAT and the GRE. Like, I didn't take none of that. I Well, one, I didn't take SATs and ASATs because I couldn't because I came from continuation school. So... Even if I took Mm-mm. it, I, I couldn't even get in because of the status of my school, even though technically it is a high school diploma. My thing says Alta Vista High School. It does not say continuation school, right? Then when I got into I got into SF State through a transfer program a uh, transfer agreement, and then when I got to my graduate school, I didn't take the GMAT. You know, thank God they didn't require it. Mm-hmm. And then Mills College in Oakland right now, they didn't require a GRE either. So then I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that I, put t- I specifically picked schools that didn't require entrance, e- entrance exams, right? Um, mm-hmm. Validate me as a student or what good of a student I am. So basically through all that, when I'm learning all of that in my doctoral program, now I'm kind of like, wow, all of these odds were against me. And then yet here I am as a PhD student Just like anybody else that went to a four year university, just like anybody else that had to take a GMAT or a girl, The pathway is the same at the end of the day. It's the same degree. Somebody that went to Stanford or UC Berkeley or Mills College, or it doesn't matter if you're a PhD, you're a PhD. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so that within that, to be honest with you, um, I started thinking about like, damn, what did I not have during graduate school? And I didn't have a sense of belonging. I was the only Latina in my graduate school class in my master's program. I honestly met one like Guatemalan girl in my last semester. And I looked at her like, girl, we BFFs and you don't even know it because I'm like, oh my God, where you yeah. from? Oh my God. Oh my God. We became like cool friends. Yeah, yeah, okay, You know, like literally we're just like chop it up and stuff, right? But then I said, okay, I want to change that during my graduate program, my Ph.D. program. So then I said, okay, I'm going to create this Instagram account. I'm going to call it Latinas with Masters, right, because that's who I identify with. I'm a Latina with a master's. And I'm just going to help, you know, women of color, Latinas get into graduate school. So more women and and Latinas look like us. Right. And that Mm -hmm. blew up literally like overnight and not overnight, if that makes sense, because I didn't realize that what I was creating was a counter space what i was creating and what you said earlier was i was creating a space for us to share and see our own narratives of how we got here right so it's not just about me it's about you it's about the the you know the girl the mexicana the girl from honduras the girl from colombia like it doesn't matter like we all have our own story and going back to like not asking permission I'm not going to wait till academia creates a space for me. Do they need to create it? Absolutely. But I'm just going to create it on my own. And so that's exactly what I did. I started like pouring information that I knew about my graduate program on how to get there. What do you need? Your personal statement, your transcript, all this other stuff. And then I was also sprinkling in what I was learning in my doctoral program, right? Of navigating spaces that were built for us, right? Type of vibe. Um, Mm. And then I was just getting all these messages of like, damn, where were you when I was in graduate school? I wish I had something like this or like, hey, I'm an undergrad and I'm considering getting my master's. Can you what does that look like? Can you help me? Or, hey, I'm a Ph.D. or I'm a master's um, graduate. I want to help other Latinas get into the space. I work in this industry. Let's create awareness on that. And so, like you said earlier, it's like we're all working for the same thing. You know, we are trying to uplift each other. And create a sense of belonging for us in this space, and so that's how Latinas with Masters was created. Was the lack of right and imposter syndrome, and then the we're going to interrogate this shit now. So,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly what it is. You're, so you're in the changing the game phase right now.
0: It's changing the game, healing journey phase, right? <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I mean, man, the, the, you know, like I honestly read messages and it makes me cry because it's like, even when I read that, I'm like, wow, I didn't, you know, the fact that like a quote, a story, a picture, right, can move someone. And for someone to tell me, hey, I followed your account from the when, from literally the moment I started graduate school and I just graduated like last week, literally, right, to say that your page helped me navigate graduate school and helped me feel a sense of belonging and helped me feel seen and and helped me feel heard. And even though I was in the only Latina in my class, I know I'm not the only Latina with a master's degree. I mean, there was like a lot of messages girl, growing that one message. And I'm like, wow, like, oh, shit. Like, that's crazy to me. And this is somebody that like went to NYU, someone that's at Brown, someone that's at a, you know, historically black college, like. Like, even though I'm not there, Latinas with masters is there with them, you know, and it's just crazy yeah. that you know, that, that that that's that that's reality right now,
1: you know. But that is just so important. And this is why I love what you do, because I'm a big believer in like create the representation you wish you had when you were younger, or create something you wish you had when you were younger. And literally, that's what you did with your Latinas with masters is you created something that you thought was lacking when you were going through it. And like, girl, I read messages too that make me cry. And I'm like, I don't even care how many downloads I get. This is why I do it. You know what I mean? Like for, for the messages that come through and that are like, thank you for just like creating almost access to these people, like our people who are doing this work. Because girl, I remember being in school and thinking, okay, these people who are working at Google, LinkedIn, like they're cool and all, but they don't look like me. And who... Like, are they going to welcome someone like me? Like, it's not, I don't see myself represented. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they talked a certain way. I thought I had to act a certain way to be successful or to be in this space. Yeah. And girl, I'm going to tell you, I rock my hoops. I rock my red lipstick. I rock my Latina sweater, my Honduran like necklace. I rock that shit when I'm in the office, outside the office, like in meetings and any space that I'm in. Because I want anyone who I, I'm in a meeting with to know they don't have to, to change who they are. They don't have to change their story to be in this space. Like they mm-hmm. can be 100% themselves and widen the space for more people like you and me to be in that space. Absolutely. Girl, we're doing, we're doing God's work right now. <laughs> honestly, honestly, and it's
0: work. Believe me, definitely. I get, I apply to jobs and, and I go into spaces and, you know, and I get rejected, you know, but, you know, listen, if, if I get rejected, it's for a reason, right? Because one, they're not ready to do the work. Two, they're definitely intimidated by how I show up. Mm. And three, that's a them problem. That's not a me problem. And that right there, girl, that's the one that I literally had to, that's the one that I really, really had to like repeat so many times that the way that I show up in any space, right, I shouldn't have to conform to make them feel comfortable. That is a them, that is not a me problem. When my professor, who is a trauma-informed leader coach, told me that, I was like, wow. Again, I cried. I cried like five times. This session was like better than any therapy session. I didn't meet her. <laughs> Honestly, and I was like, oh, shit. So, so even though I am showing up, because guess what? I've been told, oh, you're aggressive, you're loud, you're defensive. And that would trigger me right? Which triggered me in that situation in the classroom. And she goes, what happens was that you were triggered because you've always been told that that's how you're acting, right? But do people in your community who look like you, do they tell you that you're loud? I was like, no, because we are loud. <laughs> she's like, Are you <laughs> we all be yelling at each other. <laughs> this is normal tone. What are you talking about? It's um, like, are they saying you're defensive? I'm like, girl, we all defensive. Have you met a Central American with another Central American? Like, it is like game over. Like, (laughs) and then she's like, are they saying you're aggressive? And I'm like, we're all aggressive, girl. Like, we all get it from my grandma. I was like, what do you mean? You know, but I was like joking, but she was like, oh my goodness. For real. And I'm like, no, for real. Like nobody, no other, no other Latina has ever told me that I'm loud, aggressive, and defensive. And she goes, exactly. That is a them problem, not a you problem. So no, don't, don't say, you know, the next time somebody tells you that, be like, I'm not loud. I'm just passionate, you know, about creating equitable, you know, opportunities for women of color. I'm not aggressive. I'm da da mm-hmm. I'm not defensive. I'm da da da. You know what I'm saying? And so I had to learn how to 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 defend myself in that way because what I used to do before is again I would internalize that and be like, oh bitch, I'll show you fucking aggressive. I'll show you loud, you know, right?
1: Because that's what they wanted. Me <laughs> and to now do. the petty come out. <laughs>
0: Oh, girl, listen, I could be pat TFL. I think it's kind of like, whoa, so I'm not supposed to? She's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, be your authentic self. But don't show up that way because they ex- because you know that they're expecting you to show up that way, show up that way because oh, yeah. you're authentically showing up that way, which is are two different things. Right. But yeah, girl. So like you said, it's just like it's this healing journey is real, girl. Like before I used to be like list like that um like that cardi b song that goes if you know like if you see me and we don't speak that means i don't fuck with you like honestly i wouldn't like i did look you in the eye girl i'm like bitch please but now i'm able to be like why oh, are you over and then move it on listen right. that even that you're lucky about that <laughs>
1: for real right and you know what I love I love how you're ending this piece because you're talking about how you have to repeat this to yourself like that's yeah. a zen problem this is keeps showing up as you because I think it really is about our self-dialogue and it's it's a real hard thing to unlearn because we are in a culture where our parents told us to to assimilate right and to be American because they had gone through so much not being able to speak nice. English not being able to have an education they didn't have a voice they didn't have a say they didn't have an opinion. Yeah. And so I, I know it came out of protecting us. And it wasn't like, oh, so it's Americana because you're American. But they were saying it like, you got to protect yourself because it's hard out there. And honestly, I didn't get that either until I was older. And I was like, okay, I see what they mean. Like, it's crazy out here. But Girl, I learned that loudest. The positive self-talk. Girl. But the positive self-talk is everything. It's everything. Because I think like when you see your family members, you see your parents. And, you know, I speak from my experience, like having undocumented family members who are told keep proving yourself, like you're not enough, like you, you you did something illegal. So now we're like making this process 10 times harder for you. Like there's so many things that are going against our, our, our people and, and they're never enough. They always got to prove themselves. They always got to work 10 times harder. They always got to struggle. We grow up seeing that. And for us, we internalize it. Like if we just work hard, then we'll make it. If I just go to school, then I'll make it. Yeah. And it's so much more deeper than that. It's it's really learning how to be your authentic self, how to play the game, how to navigate these spaces with no help, right? Or, or no guidance. And I feel for you when you're like, the people I went to school with, like they had people that was working in tech and their families and you're just like, my my dad's the maintenance guy, you know what I mean? Like, We're it's, it's a really hard thing to kids unlearn. Like, okay. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. And I mean, same thing. I moved to Silicon Valley. I had no idea what Silicon Valley was like. And I was like, oh, Google's on the street. Oh, I can work there. It's not just engineers. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. But I think it's like, I love that you're talking about the positive self-talk. Yeah. But I just think for everyone listening, like, I just want to highlight that from Dr. Christina, like, (laughs) you got to have the positive self-talk because it really changes the game. Like, I always say people can believe in you, but you got to believe in yourself ten times harder than anybody else because that's the only way you're going to move and and thrive in these spaces that are not built for the baddies in tech with the red lipstick and the hoops. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. no, and listen, <laughs> you guys say it so much now
0: that even my husband's like, "Remember, babe, that is a them problem, not a you problem." And I'm like. Yep. <laughs> you're right, you're right. That's right. how
1: you know when he got the man saying
0: it. That's how you know. Like, yeah, he definitely deserves an honorary doctorate degree because the level of information <laughs> I just poured to him. Like, babe, did you know? And he's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, and then oh. like, you no, know, and he's just like, yeah, like that's crazy. Like, you know, of course he understands it, obviously but I'm just like, wow. Like, I don't know. I guess it's just wild to me. Like. And we're okay with this. Teachers are okay with this. Like we're all, we're talking about kids here. Like, why is this normal? Why are we normalizing this? I guess I have a lot of passion in that way. I'm not aggressive people. I just have passion. On
1: oh, no. how. <laughs> that's, that's, that's who we yeah. are. I'm like, we, we ain't aggressive. We just really passionate people. And we're yeah. not, we're not yeah. afraid to say something. And that's, that's always something that I love about my community and the women, Central American women. Like, yeah, they're not the docile, like, you oh, know, get, it. you know, like. they loud and they will tell you their opinion and they're strong women. So we come from strong women in our ancestry, girl. Mm -hmm. But I want to, I know we over time, Hella. but I want to close this conversation with the Rindis because I I love leaving space. Like I'm a big believer in manifestation, put it out there and like almost like prophetic word, right? If you put it out there, it's going to happen and we'll work toward it. But what do you want to manifest for a Latino community, and what do you want to cheers to? And I have a little, I have my cafecito here that I've been, I've been drinking or cafecito, oh, I should say, I'm about to but. take a shot after. You the, didn't have Yes, I have. Uh-huh. I'll
0: take an air shot for you guys. Man, you know <laughs> an air shot. <laughs> God, there's a lot of things I want to manifest for the Latino community because we deserve it. You know, we definitely deserve it. Um, if I had to pick one, you know, I definitely want to manifest god I'm just so big on equity I think equity is like the biggest thing that I'm just kind of like I go to sleep with I wake up with it's like in every sense of the word and and everything that I talk about it's like how is this equity like you telling me this you've been doing this for so long means doesn't mean shit to me that's not equity so we need to like redo that so I definitely want to manifest equity in in anything that they put their heart to rather that's access to the resources here, getting here, you know, navigating, you know, the education system, applying for a job, literally anything. I think equity, you know, to meet the individual to where they're at, you know, as educators, if we're told that we need to meet the students where they're at to help them learn and grow and develop, it should be the same for an individual, you know. Um, So that's what I would like to Mm -hmm. Would definitely would be equity in whatever you are thriving for,
1: and equity in all the ways. Mm-hmm. Cheers, Salute. take a virtual shot. <laughs> this is vodka. We're gonna take a shot,
0: <laughs> girl. You did not just say vodka. Are you a vodka fan? Yeah. I'm girl. Um, girl. Listen, no rose girl, vodka.
1: Walk
0: <laughs> away. Anything rose vodka in it, I'm all over it. But yes, vodka. Girl, vodka.
1: No te creo. But I am so, I'm so grateful that you were on this podcast and that you blessed us with your, with your wisdom, with your history, with your stories. I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, uh, We had hella hella fun. Next time we'll take, girl, you're, you're in San Jose, I'm here. So we're going to have to take actual shots together at some point. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, right now I'm actually in Vallejo, so I'm, I'm where E40 stays at. <laughs> Not where he stays at, where he's from. Oh, well.
1: Yeah,
0: so I live in Vallejo, but Hello.
1: yeah, I the Bay. So if you out here? Let's do it. Make it happen. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Well, abrazos, amiga. Like I am so grateful that you're here and that you brought your red lipstick and hoops into the space. I'm grateful for you. It's for you too. You too, girl. Now, didn't I tell you Christina was so fire? Follow her everywhere at Latinas with Masters on Instagram, LinkedIn, de todo. And as always, gracias for being here and shout out to all the Latinos and Latinas out there getting their masters, pursuing higher education and being the difference in academia. See y'all next week for more Cafecito and Smith for all Hello Latino updates. Follow Hello Latino podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on my personal Instagram at O-H-J-4-A-S-S-M-I-N-E and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, tu amiga Hondureña.